0: have a seat all right God is good God is good right <laughs> all right I want to invite our children to come up I've got a special message for you guys any of our children that want to come up and be a part of this come on up and have a seat right up here all right Good to see you guys today. Our children's group just keeps growing every Sunday. It's awesome. Oh, When you get older, when you sit down, you make funny noises, just letting you guys know. Do you guys know what this is? A tool. A tool. What's this thing I got on right here? A tool belt. I got all kinds of tools in here. So I'm going to pull this tool out. I'm going to use this one in a few minutes. This is my Bible and my sermon, all right? So I'm going, to use the, I'm, going to, I'm going to use that tool. I'm going to use this in a couple minutes. But for now, I want to talk to you guys about a few things. So, all right, so let me show you a few things here. So anybody know what this is? A hammer. A hammer. I love to use a hammer, and you know how I like to use the hammer? I grab it by the handle right here, and then I tr- when I nail in things, I do this but it doesn't work very good. I don't understand why it, you know, the nail on the ham, the hammer head, the nail head is real small, so I keep hitting and I miss. Why doesn't it work that, why isn't it working? That out the wrong oh, like this? No. Oh, this way? No, no. this way, right? Yeah. Like this, this is how you hit a nail in, right? Yeah. yeah, okay, so that's how we use a hammer. So, what do you use hammers for? to nails or you pull things out like this or if you're me and you, you're really mad at your project you just can hit things with it and dem- demolition so yeah so anybody know what this thing is a drill, a drill. A drill. yeah a drill could use to be screws in so this is how I use it so if I have a hammer or if I have a nail or a screw I'm trying to hit in I do this is that right no, you, you push up and then you it. oh like this like that Oh, like this, like this. Okay, so that's how you use a screw gun or a drill. Okay, what else I got in here? I got one of these. Tape measure, Tape measure right? Tape so I use this at my house when I need a break. I throw it like that, and then I watch it come back. Is that what it's for? I throw it like that, and then I watch it come back. Or if the kids are bad, then, you know, then they get whipped. No? It's for measuring stuff. Like this, right? There's numbers on it. Oh, these numbers aren't for birthdays, this is for measuring stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's how you measure things. Let's see. I think i got a couple more things in here. This is my favorite thing. I throw it up in the air and I let it hit the ground like that. Is that how we use that thing? Oh, careful, careful. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, right, the, flat, the little flat head goes into the screw and then you turn it and it goes in or turn it and it comes out, right? Your dad has one of those? Cool this is my favorite thing. Do you guys know what this is? A A stud finder. So you take this and you find a guy in the audience. Uh Uh. Uh-oh. no. Oh. Oh. No. There's no studs back here. (laughs) I don't see any. Chris, you want me to know? Is that what this is for? No, you use this like on the wall, and then it helps you find stuff inside the wall that you can't see, like that. Yeah. And when you like find something, then you then, you you can then you can get, get it, it out. Yes. And, then, and then, then what's? Why is that? Why is this thing important? Why is this belt important? So so it's the belt just pulled off my microphone. Hang on. So, so all the stuff is held in this tool belt, right? I wear this belt, and then when I'm working, I don't have to keep picking my tools up off the ground. It all goes in this little belt. It's like a man purse, right, except it's, not for, it's for tools. Immerse. Or a murse, yes, that's a good, yes. Here's the thing. This is really, this is the best part. This is what the Bible says about us. You want to see how we apply this to our lives? Yeah. Each of you guys, the Bible says, is like one of these tools in God's tool belt. And some of you are going to be used you know, to be used by God this way, and some of you are going to be used by God this way, and others like this way, based on your skills and your gifts and your abilities. But God wants to use all of us in a very special and unique way. God designed you specially to be used by him inside of his church. We're all a tool prepared by God to be used for his glory, okay? So the word of the day today is tool. Tool. So y'all can go back to your seat. Thank you so much for coming up here. Alright, I want to invite the rest of you to take out a copy of God's Word with me this morning. Open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to talk about being a useful tool. Being a useful tool in the hands of God. Being a useful tool in the hands of God. My tool here, my hammer, this is a pretty useful tool like the kids uh, demonstrated. We use this for hitting things, uh, nailing the nails, things of that nature. Um, And my hammer kind of demonstrates two things that we're going to see lived out in the life of a man named Peter. The first thing is, is that a useful, to, a useful tool gives glory to its master. A useful tool gives glory to its master. And then second, a useful tool fulfills its purpose. That's the two points today. That's what I'm going to drive home in the message as we look at the text. You see, a man named Peter was a useful tool in the hands of God. The question I have for you that I want you to think about, that I want you to pray about and consider today, plant just in the back of your mind, do you believe that God can and desires to use you for an amazing purpose? Do you believe that God can and that God desires to use you for an amazing purpose? Because that's what we'll be challenged to answer today as we look at our text. So let's look at verse 32 of Acts chapter 9 as we see, uh, kind of get back in touch and reconnect with a disciple of Jesus' name, Peter. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Luke now shifts our focus. Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. We were, if you remember, focused on the life and the conversion of this guy named Saul, who later, you know, had his name changed to Paul. And so Saul was in Jerusalem and left, and and now he's moved on. And now the writer Luke shifts our focus to one of Jesus' other disciples named Peter. When the Hellenistic Jews began attempting to put Saul to death, you remember in chapter 9, verse 30, right before this text, they, they, they got him out of town, and then, and then he went to Tarsus, and now we shift to this man named Peter. Luke last mentions Peter here in the book of Acts in, uh, as one who had gone about through Samaria um, preaching and teaching the gospel um, once he left uh, with John on their way back to Jerusalem. While all of this is happening, Peter is traveling around Judea, um, Galilee and Samaria, preaching the gospel, and people are being saved. The church is being built up in number. And as you read, just a few verses before, the, the uh, Palestine church in Palestine, uh, they experienced a, a really encouraging uh, season of peace and exponential growth. It said regularly their numbers were increasing. One of Peter's stops is this place called Lida. Now, Lida was a bustling coastal city to the west of Jerusalem. It had a large market, and several industries flourished there, including cattle, textiles, dyeing of cloth, and pottery. And there were some very famous Jewish scholars that lived in Lida as well. We aren't sure how the people of Lida. Uh, heard the gospel originally, we see when Peter got there at this point that there were already believers there as as indicated in verse 32. Perhaps it was during the great persecution. If you remember in Acts, uh, after the stoning of Stephen, it said that the believers all left Jerusalem and spread out and started sharing the gospel. That's possible, or it's very possible that Philip had stopped there and shared the gospel with them. But what we do know is there were some believers there in Lydda uh, that had already heard the gospel. When Peter gets there in Lydda, he meets a man named Aeneas. Now, Aeneas has been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. I don't know the kind of illness that he had. It doesn't, the, the text doesn't really indicate what was wrong with him. Um, but to be bedridden and paralyzed at this point in the history of the world was a horrific, horrific event. Uh, it would have been hard for him to eat. It would have been hard for him to sustain his health. Uh, He wouldn't be able to work. Um, He would be uh, probably a beggar, uh, just relying on other people to provide for his needs. It was not, uh, uh, he did not receive the kind of care that we would have today. Can you imagine that? At that point in life, having nothing, no way to sustain yourself, bedridden for eight years, unable to walk. That was his life. That's, That's what he experienced every single day. And then Peter comes to town. And then what happens next is absolutely amazing. A man who had been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years is miraculously healed. Peter simply says, Jesus Christ heals you. And what he says next is amazing. Get up and make your bed. Right, so mama would have been happy, right? So he, he's better, he's healed. So what's the first thing mama would tell the, the, the son? You better make that bed when you get out. All right, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Aeneas must be used to hearing that kind of command from his mama because it says that he immediately got up and made his bed. Now I want you to notice two important things in this part of the text. First, When we look at the text, I mean, look back at the text, who is it that heals Aeneas? Look at it. Who heals Aeneas? Was it Peter? No. It was Jesus that healed him. In fact, that's what Peter says. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus is the one who healed him. Jesus is the one who heals This is just one miracle that supports a greater reality that Jesus is the power behind the movement. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the power behind the Christian movement. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the latest, greatest preacher that you watch on TV. It's Jesus. He's the king, He's the one with the authority to heal and to save he's the boss. Now the second thing I want to ask when we look at just this part of the text, was Aeneas healed? Well, was he? Yes. How do we know? He stood up. Right? Peter told him in the name of Jesus, you're healed. Get up and make your bed. And what did Aeneas do? He stood up. It says right there in the text. He immediately got up he demonstrated his healing from jesus by being healed and walking now if we're not careful that can become the focus of this text and it's not and being healed surely was a wonderful miracle and if you were bedridden for eight years and you were miraculously healed and you could walk that would be a tremendous miracle right Amen? amen but that's not the miracle it is, it is a, a sign he was healed miraculously, but that's not why he was healed. We find the answer, the real reason why he was healed in verse 35. It says, So all who lived in Lida and Sharon saw him, and what? Turned to the Lord. The healing was a sign. It was a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. And that drew people to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. See, what Peter did and what what was demonstrated in in that power was the power of the gospel to heal a broken life. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. All of us are separated from God. But God, in his great love, demonstrated his love for us by sending this man, Jesus, from Nazareth This man, Jesus, he perfectly fulfilled God's law. He gave his life on the cross, and while on the cross, he received God's wrath for your sin and my sin. He died on that cross. He was buried in the ground. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering death and providing salvation for anyone who repents of sin and trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Now, Aeneas being healed was a demonstration of God's power to heal a broken life. That God is still working today. No one looks at a house and says, man, imagine the hammer that built that house, do they? Do you ever look at something beautiful and Praise the tool for the work? No, we don't do that. The tool is at the hand of the master. And so Peter is God's tool in this moment. God's tool to demonstrate God's power and Jesus' authority to forgive sin and heal the broken life. We, like Peter, are called by God to be used by him in amazing ways. Now, this sparks an important question in our minds. How can I make a difference for God? I mean, really? I'm not Peter, right? That baby you're at, maybe you're saying that. I say it often when I read this kind of text I'm not that guy, I'm not that lady. He and and she, they're, they're amazing. How could I be used by God? Well, there's two ways, two steps, if you will. They're not easy. But you can do them through Jesus. You want to hear the first one? All right. Dedicate your life to serving Jesus. Step number one. That's what Peter did. You know, life wasn't easy for Peter. Do you remember when he followed Jesus around before Jesus died and resurrected? Peter was at the pointy end of Jesus' teaching often. Right? Jesus even called him Satan once. Do you remember that? He had to put his foot in his mouth so many times, and yet he was always there, following Jesus. So Peter shows us that if we want to be used by Jesus to do amazing things, the first step is to serve him, to follow him. You don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a Bible-educated person to dedicate every day of your life to serving Jesus. Now, Peter was a special man. He was called by God to do amazing things. He was set apart to be a leader in the church. He was important and special. But so were you. This type of story could easily be about anyone in this room today. It could be about you, or you, or you. This could be a story about you. Think about Ananias. You remember Ananias. He's a believer in Damascus, minding his own business. Jesus comes to him in a vision. Guess what he says? Ananias, I want you to get up. I want you to go down to Straight Street. There's a guy down there named Saul. I want you to pray over him. Heal his blindness. Baptize him. I'm going to use him for an amazing thing. Ananias says, ah, Jesus, you know who Saul is, right? Like he's been persecuting believers. He hates us. You want me to go there? It's like you want me to go in the the den of lions. And Jesus said, yeah, that's what I want you to do. So that's what he did. This unknown man used by God to usher in, to be an avenue for the Holy Spirit to indwell Paul, one of the most amazing apostles in the Bible. That was Ananias' job. Just being obedient to fulfill what God called them to do. You know, decades ago, a group of regular people started Fifth Street Baptist Church. Were any of y'all around when this church started? I don't know if we have anybody left here. But you know the people that started Fifth Street, they, they were regular folks that lived here in Key West, that had regular jobs and families and lived their lives. Out of obedience to the Lord, they felt a calling as a group to start this church. And now look at it. Those are regular people used by God to do amazing things. Just taking it. You were here when you built this sanctuary. Amen. Well, that's great. Which was mostly built by volunteers. Did you all know that? And I want to tell you, they put the pastor up on the ceiling to put that wood in. Just letting you know. Yeah. But you put your pastor up there to install all that hardwood on the ceiling, didn't you? I ain't doing that. I'm just kidding. But we have testimony right here, just in this building, people here volunteering to, to build something that, if you were to look at this, you're like, no way we could do this. We did it. We meaning our church. And God wants to continue to use us, this church, for amazing things. Everybody is a tool in God's tool belt. Everyone is called by God to be used in a mighty way. And everyone can be used by God in a mighty way. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is or what your future is, you're a born-again believer. Therefore, God has gifted you and is equipping you to be used by him in mighty ways. The first step to do that is just to be available, is just to follow him, to serve him. Just say, God, I'm here to serve you. I want to be used by you. I'm just an old hammer. This is all I can do, just an old hammer. But I'm willing to be used in your hand, and I want to give you glory. Number two, We've got to trust Jesus to powerfully work and to give Him glory for it. We've got to trust Jesus to powerfully work and give Him glory for it. Stop saying, I can't do that. We're good at that, right? If God came to you before this building was built and said, I want you to build a big sanctuary for Fistory Baptist Church. My answer, if God came to me and said that, you know what my answer would be? I cannot do that. I'm just a hammer. We need drills and people that know what they're doing. We need to stop telling God, I can't do that, and start telling him, God, I can't do that, but I can through Jesus. I can't do it. Let's just get it all on the table right now. Anything God calls us to do, we can't do it on our own. We just can't. But we can do the things God calls us to do through Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is the one that will empower you to do the things he's called called you to complete. There is no shortage in the kingdom of God for power and authority and ability to complete God's projects. When he uses you to impact someone's life with the gospel, give him glory. Glory. So we start by following him, agreeing just to serve him. And then we stop saying, I can't do that. And we start saying, I will do that through Jesus, right? God, I can't do this on my own, but if you're willing to do it through me, then I'm willing to serve. It's as simple as that. That's the first part of what made Peter so amazing. All right. A useful tool and God's pouch fulfills its purpose. I want to tell you, um, I haven't always had good hammers. My dad uh, sold me up the river when I was 18, and I told him I wanted a good job, and I wanted to make lots of money my senior year in high school. So my mom might be listening to this message, and she's going to be laughing at home right now. So my dad said, okay, well, I'll get you a job, and you're going to get all the hours you want, boy. I said, perfect. Perfect. In my ignorance, he got me a job laying concrete. Any concrete layers in here? That is not an easy job. You know what? Nothing in concrete is is uh, light. You know that? Even the nails we use in concrete are heavy. And so I show up for my first day at work, and I, had, I I worked farms and stuff, so I knew how to work, but I'd never done this kind of work before. And I had gotten to the, the Menards, which is like a Lowe's, you know, and I got my little belt, my hammer belt, kind of looked like that. And I got my hammer. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good hammer. It was a, it was a hammer, a small hammer uh, with a wooden handle. So it was kind of like in the concrete world, they would call that a toy. And so I remember going to my first day, and man, they can smell, those guys can smell the newbie like a mile away. You got your new boots on. You got your brand new hammer, your hammer belt. You're still smiling when you show up in the morning. You got like a new T-shirt with no holes in it. And I show up and I'm ready to work, and they just laugh at me. And I fe- I spent the first week of that job shoveling mud. By the way, it was awesome. But I remember my first week, I they gave me a job to clean off these forms with my hammer, and so I probably swung the hammer about ten times. I'm like, this thing stinks. And then finally I miss, miss, swung my hammer and I, and I swung and hit the wood handle on the form. You know what happens when you do that? That thing just snapped in half. I'm sitting there, you know, staring at my broken toy hammer. And then one of the guys, he had mercy and and he gave me a real hammer. And um, then I used it the rest of that time. And and this isn't that hammer, if you're wondering. This is just one I purchased and I use at home. But, but, God designed you to to be a tool in his tool belt. And then God designed you to be used for a purpose. You have a purpose. God designed you for a magnificent, glorious purpose. But we've got to take that step of faith and, and be willing and ready to be used by him to fulfill the purpose for which he designed us. That's what Peter demonstrates next. Look at verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. You know, it's really interesting. Um, Luke shifts the narrative now uh, to a place named Joppa, which is near Lydda. It's, It's just a few miles away. And uh, it's an important port city with a rich history. There's this lady there named Tabitha, and a.k.a. Dorcas. So she had two names, which is really common um, that day, uh, during that day. But she had a really great testimony. Um, she was very generous, and she performed acts of charity. Now, I would hope that one day when I die, that people would consider me to be uh, you know, a gracious person that did acts of charity. She's just, just a, a good lady, loved Jesus, followed him, and helped people. Well, she gets, sick, she gets sick and dies. What's interesting is the disciples wash her body, and then they put her in a room, in an upper room in a home, which is totally contrary to their custom. Typically, they would wash them and prepare them for burial, and then they would bury her. Well, that's not what they did. They, they wash her, and they put her up in a room. So let's continue with the story, because this is pretty amazing. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him weeping and showing him the robes and the clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. So right, let's stop and just, I just want to like drive this home. Tabitha is dead, Right? She's dead. The other believers, instead of cleaning her body as is custom and putting her in the ground, or in what we would kind of characterize as a cave, they put her up in a room upstairs. And then they send two disciples to go get Peter so he can come and ask Jesus to raise her from the dead. Do y'all see, like, the amount of faith that's demonstrated here? Do y'all get that, right? She was dead. And they didn't just bury her in the ground. They thought maybe Jesus will heal her and bring her back to life. And so they go and they send for Peter. And Peter comes. Well, Meanwhile, we learn what she did. She's got this, there's this group of widows gathered around as Peter comes in the house, showing him the clothes. So Tabitha fulfilled James 1.27, which is is, uh, an indication of what a good service to God is. Let me read it to you. It says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's what Tabitha did. She used her time to care for widows, making them clothes, keeping them, helping them to keep warm at night. Widows were, were not a group of people during that time that were especially loved or cared for. They were often in poverty. They often had to beg for food Well, Tabitha did her best to make sure at least that they had clothes. So Peter joins everybody in that upper room. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room, He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. (laughs) That's awesome. She was dead. And what did Peter do? You better get up. People aren't going to make those clothes for the widows by themselves, right? We need you. Tabitha was dead, and Jesus used Peter to raise her back to life. What do you think that was like for Tabitha? That'd be some kind of book, right? Verse 41 continues, he gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon the leather tanner. So what happened next is one of the most important elements of this story, right? Peter presents her alive. Now, If you're Tabitha and you're dead and Peter brings you back to life, that's a pretty big deal, right? If you're her friends and you love her and you don't want her to go home and be with Jesus yet and Jesus brings her back to life through Peter, that's pretty amazing, right? That's not even the most amazing part of the story. Jesus bringing Tabitha back to life is just a demonstration, a sign of a great work of God through Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we see what happens as a result of that. It said many came to faith in Jesus because of that. Why did many, become, many come to faith? Well, part of the gospel is that Jesus died, he was buried in the ground, and then on the third day, what happened? He rose again, right? He came back to life. Now, what just happened? Tabitha was dead... And then Jesus brought her back to life. What did Jesus demonstrate? Jesus has the power over death. Death is not the end for us. Death is nothing we have to fear. Because Jesus conquered death. Jesus has power over death. Many believe the gospel because they saw it demonstrated in Tabitha's life. Now the second thing. The news of her miraculous resurrection from from the dead spreads in Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The true gift in that moment, although I'm sure uh, Dorcas, I'm sure her friends enjoyed the fact that she came back to life. The true gift were the many, many, many people that crossed from death and sin to life in Christ. That was the real gift. That was the real miracle. Person after person after person receiving Jesus and being saved. Peter was a useful tool in the master's hands. And God desires to use you in many ways. Wonderful ways. My hammer fulfills its purpose when it does what I want it to do. When I hammer or demolish or pull or whatever I pry with this thing, its hammerness is defined in doing the things that it was designed to do. Your Christianness, your your fellowship of Jesus, your discipleship is exemplified in God using you in amazing ways to fulfill His purpose. Now what God has called you to do, that's between you and the Lord. Let me just, I want to show you something that's really interesting. Look at verse 42. There's a man in verse 42 mentioned. What's his name there? What is, who is that guy? Do you see? Who is that? Simon the Tanner, right? He's mentioned a few times in this text. Um, what did Simon the Tanner do? Did he go raise, you know, did Jesus use him to raise anybody from the dead? Did he go help uh, a man named Saul, you know, become dwell with the Holy Spirit? Did he go stand in front of the Sanhedrin and preach the gospel? Did thousands come to faith because of him? none of that what did he do he just opened his home up simon the tanner housed peter and then he's mentioned several more times in the next few chapters of the bible he wasn't a, a great theologian that we know of he was a tanner he was a regular guy and he's mentioned several times in the Bible simply because he was obedient and opened his home and housed Peter. If you go and read the next two, three chapters of Acts, he, he's mentioned time after time just as the guy that housed Peter. It's pretty amazing. That was his job. So if you're, if you're thinking, you know, I'm never going to you know, stand in front of the church. I don't feel comfortable teaching the Bible. I'm, I'm worried about sharing my faith. Jesus is just asking us to take the next step of faith, the next step of obedience. For for a man such as Simon the Tanner, his step of faith in that moment was just to house the apostle Peter. That was his job. He probably fed him, gave him a place to sleep, maybe protected him. That That was what he did. Many of you all could do something like that. We're just called by God to take that next step of faith, that next step of obedience, whatever it is, not to tell God, I can't do that. If you could do it, it wouldn't be a step of faith, right? I think, church, I think as believers, we've just settled for the mundane. We've settled for less than what God has for us. We've comfortably settled into the American dream. Everyday life. All that stuff, that's a blessing from God, right? But, but God's got more for us than that. And we read stories like this, and, and I think that the problem is we don't believe that God does that stuff anymore. That's our problem, isn't it? We don't believe that God heals people. We don't believe that God uses regular people to do miraculous things. We think maybe that that God's done with great and exponential movements within the church. That's not true. God desires to use you for amazing things. Right where you are. Right inside that job. Right inside that family. Right inside that city. He's looking for people that are ready to serve him. Useful tools. Doing what God created you to do through his power and under the authority of his son, King Jesus. So, in closing, the the question I want to leave you with is this How does God want to use me for his kingdom? How does God want to use me for his kingdom? In just a minute, we're going to invite everybody to stand. I want to invite the team to come up for our time of invitation. Our time of invitation is simple. We're just going to stand in a minute. We're all going to sing together. And if God's prompted you to make some kind of decision, I want to invite you to come forward and I'll pray with you. You can pray alone at this the altar here if you want. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you to make some kind of decision to be used by God, to serve in this church, to follow through with baptism, whatever it is, use this moment of decision to, to declare that to the Lord and maybe come forward and pray about it, pray with me, whatever it is. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to walk you through that process. But don't let this moment pass don't let this time pass because i know that this church is full of people that god desires to use for miraculous things amazing things every one of you can be a useful tool in god's kingdom would you all stand with me please heavenly father i pray over this moment and i ask god that you would not leave us alone that That you would make us real, real uncomfortable in this moment. I pray, God, that we would hear the Holy Spirit's soft whisper in our hearts. That we would have the faith to take a step out of that pew and a step forward for the one who needs to be saved, that he or she would come forward and receive you. The one that has a step of obedience, maybe like Shannon, to to be baptized. Maybe the one that needs to take that step of of faith and serve in this church. Maybe you've laid someone on our heart today that doesn't yet know you as Lord and and that person's just been a burden and, and we want them to be saved. And Lord, you're calling us in this moment to be the person that tells them about you. Help us to stop being a church that says, I can't. And a church that says, I will through you and through your power. I thank you, God, for this time of worship. And now you ask that you continue to move among us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.